Welcome to the 18th episode of the Animal Riot podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer, Katie, here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guest, Dave Olympio. I'm your host, Brian Birnbaum. We're here today with Dave Olympio, the editor-in-chief of Atticus Review, which has been kind enough to publish a couple of my reviews. And mine. And our lovely producers. I'm here, too. Yes. Dave is the author of This Is Not a Confession, a book of essays which explores the residual effects of sexual abuse, divorce, and grief, and more. Okay, so yeah, this episode's... This episode, yeah, well, no. Hello. Here's, here's Dave. Here's Dave. Here's Welcome, Dave, Katie, into our circus today. Our producers. I, I am going to say that our episode's brand of fuckery is brought to you by parents showing up unannounced. And so, yeah, my parents, yes. my parents are currently holed up in my bedroom, having arrived at my apartment all the way from D.C., but two hours ago after having given no indication to their travel yep, plans. Yep, we had no warning, and here they are but we love them, and they brought their dog, which is currently loving on Dave. Which is really on brand for me, because I have two dogs that I take photos of all the time. Oh, that's that's my entire yeah. Instagram. Yeah, That's literally all my Instagram is. That's why I have an Instagram, is to take photos of uh, Rosetta over here. So we already know that you're a super generous <clears throat> and forgiving person for doing a podcast in the middle of all this <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. This is like classic neurotic jewish family shit going on right here you know my parents like not remembering that they're coming and yeah all that well they brought rum cake too so so we have rum cake cake. it's probably kosher i'll check the box later anyway so and i brought beer but i'm the only one drinking yeah i'll let everybody know that right now that is true which is actually kind of yeah i feel it's not really on brand for us that's not on brand for us no (laughs) i've you know I, i i was telling dave that my psychiatrist prescribed me clonopin recently to help me sleep um every now and then so i'm laying off the booze mm-hmm. just a little bit smart being smart harm smart reduction move. strategies yeah. as the redditors would say okay yeah so let's talk about let's talk about atticus first because you are sure. the editor-in-chief as i said of of atticus review <clears throat> so you bought them which is I've, very interesting in itself. Let's talk yeah, about that, that a little bit. Yeah, that seems to be going on a lot these days, like people buying uh, presses or whatever. Um, how did that? Yeah, how did that happen? Well, Dan Cafaro, who started the press, he put out a call for uh, editor in chief, and and I had known him. He he lived in the area of New Jersey where I was living at that time, so I'd kind of known him previously, and uh, I got in touch with him, and and then got the job as editor-in-chief and then I did that for three or four months and then I my background is in web development so I was kept thinking of all these things I wanted to do with the press or you know with the page and everything and how long ago is this by the this way this was like so this was the summer of 2016 okay so it's pretty, um, fa- fairly recent not yeah not not crazy long ago. yeah okay so then um, I just, and he seemed to be kind of like checked out <laughs> Yeah. of, you know, I think he was burned out. I don't want to say, I mean, I don't mean it in a negative way, but he just seemed pretty burned out. So I kind of ran by the idea with him of like, you know, is this something you still want to continue to do? And because I'd be interested maybe in buying it. So, mm-hmm. so then we 
talked back and forth and worked out a, a deal and I took it over in January of 2017 mm. and then started and doing when did it start when did Atticus oh Atticus um, well like around 2011 okay oh that's fairly that's fairly new okay yeah so that's interesting because that you weren't like a speculator you were like you got you got the job because you wanted it and then you bought the and yeah then you bought the... and then i just i've always liked you know doing online publishing and stuff i mean i was i'm a bit older than you guys so i was kind of like a blogger you know back in the 90s like the late 90s what was your I blog sort of called? Got, well it's it was not so linear, which is my oh yeah, that's your handle, which is now my uh, Twitter handle. Uh-huh. I was just kind of in the DC blog scene a lot, and just always liked online publishing and online writing. There used to be sort of a intimacy to it that is sort of became non-intimate as it went along. I think people started doing becoming this persona in their blog, and then that became really. Not, yeah. not as competing cool. competing for eyeballs has kind of changed yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Some of the hey. early blogs were like picked up for books and stuff. Yeah, right. And now like the Deuce, I, yeah. Deuce was like an early one that. Yeah, you guys remember uh, Tucker Max? <laughs> no. You don't know about Tucker Max? No. Do you know who you remember Tucker yeah. Max? This is like the most chauvinistic shit. Yeah. Like it was a dude. It was this lawyer who basically wrote about his like conquests of women and like alcohol. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. and it, they I turned was into a movie, more like Julia right. and Julia or something. No, they they <laughs> turned it into a book and then a movie. I mean, that's that Jesus. That we shows had, how much times have changed over the yeah, last. That was like ten years ago. We had one of those guys in D.C. too that did the same shtick, basically. I, and I'm trying to remember his name, but I don't even really want to say it because I don't unplug him. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really big, just doing that kind of thing. Uh uh-huh. you know, Just really show over the top chauvinistic stuff. Yeah. And uh, I guess, I guess though, I. Guess, I guess Tucker Max is like a, a reformed man, so oh, self-proclaimed, he, yeah. and like that, okay. you know, he's he's apologized for his way. So okay. yeah, hopefully that uh, yeah indemnifies me uh, plugging him. But <laughs> but yeah, so I know what you mean about the blogs. I think my, one of my theories is that it's like back then, just a lot of people didn't know how to do a blog. Mm-hmm. It's not like you had Blogspot, like these platforms. It was like mm-hmm. it was like a lot of these people were building their own web pages. Yeah, I did. I mean, because I was you know a web I mean? developer. I mean, yeah. I. Yeah, I built my own platform and everything. Even though there was blog, I mean, you know, there was Blogger and I started doing that, but then it didn't have enough things that I wanted it to do. So, so I basically you, built my own. Are you then, the reason Atticus <laughs> Web's pages look so good now? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it does. It, it actually, does yeah, no, I, I was lo- I was looking at it just before. Is it custom or are you guys on a template? We're on a template, but yeah. I, you know, I can do a lot of customizations yeah. to it templates are just um, easier to hand down yeah after you basi- leave. Yeah. yeah there's no reason to like start from the yeah so for all of you scratch. listeners looking you know yeah for squarespace or whatever you're looking at you know let's see into that thought Sen- Brian. that's it no <laughs> I'm, I'm actually I'm, for I'm, hire i'm, I'm laughing you know? so yeah i'm gonna yeah, plug myself Dave. so i thought that's where <laughs> I'm, I'm you were laughing. going but yeah. that's what i thought you were doing too <laughs> no I'm, I'm laughing at like your deep interest in like whether they're, they're using a template or not oh this wow is... yeah because i built ours like mm-hmm. exactly. yeah i do the same thing yeah. exactly yeah so i mean you have a isn't your sister in graphic design yeah. or something yeah, yeah she is yeah so yeah i'm, I'm actually going to be getting back into that i mean i did web development for many years as a i was worked for actually for Mothers Against Drunk Driving for their national national office. I was one of two guys that did their website and their intranet and all that stuff. That's bringing back some memories right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because they were always on during the the after-school specials and things like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's weird. They they were an interesting place to work for. But I met some great 
awesome people that I'm still friends with. And but yeah, to, I mean, so I I took over the press in 2017 and then just rebuilt the website started doing some new things like the this weekly the weekly atticus we have this newsletter that we send out every saturday morning at 10 and can you subscribe through the website to yep. that newsletter? yeah and i probably need to like do more to to get people to subscribe to that what is it atticusreview.com atticusreview.org yeah we started with a pretty huge email list just because it had been around Mm -hmm. since 2011 and people had subscribed but dan wasn't really sending out too much anymore like especially the previous maybe you know two or three years and so when i took it over and started doing the newsletters i mean we did get a lot of unsubscribes at first because i think Mm -hmm. a lot of people just didn't realize they were on this list Mm -hmm. and then but now it's kind of balanced out and we get a lot of good feedback from people we try to do a a newsletter where the intro is written by one of the editors each week Mm -hmm. and we we like to make it a little more personal so we it starts with this sort of introduction usually on a writerly topic from one of the editors and then we post every day so then the, the saturday newsletter is just sort of the week's publishings from that week so how many people do you have on staff right now? It's about 12 to 15. Oh, I don't wow. know exactly. I can't remember now. But it's the main editors. Dorothy Bendel's our managing editor. Uh, Michael Meyerhofer's the poetry editor. And Michelle Ross is fiction. And then Shauna Craig is nonfiction. And then they each have like uh, some readers mm-hmm. under, you know, that help them and and then, and then Adicha is doing a great job with the reviews. book reviews. Yeah, yeah that's I'm so Which happy. Which is really that up. amazing. Um, yeah, the last review that I <clears throat> submitted to Atticus. This is probably around the time that you were taking over. Okay. So I'd written a couple reviews, and then I reviewed a book that I did not like, mm. and I guess it was pretty brutal. And he came back to me and was like, "Look, can we like?" Uh, okay, Can we, like, that might have been me pushing back a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and and I won't name the book or anything, mm-hmm. but like yeah, I was I was give I was giving my honest opinion, yeah. you know, and like it ended up just being like either you like tone it down mm-hmm. or like let's I just chose not to like revise it because I was mm-hmm. like I I can't like you know yeah. what I mean, and I I, I, I totally yeah. get it. It's like it's tough because I you know you want to be honest, but at the same time like when you're when you're publishing stuff yourself, like you have relationships with writers, you have like mm-hmm. your own reputation and yeah. like, it was just a tough situation, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to suggest that we only publish good um, reviews. Good reviews. Yeah, or, I mean, or, yeah. I, I like people to be critical, but I just don't see, I've had this discussion with some friends. Like, I don't know the, I mean, if you're like the New York Times or something, like I see the point of a bad review. And even if you get a bad review in the New York Times, like, it can it's help a good you. review. Yeah. 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 yeah, it'll help you. Yeah. But like totally. people want to know for themselves uh-huh. and they'll still read. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I we feel like in our situation, I just feel like if it's a bad book, then just let's if the and I've had it happen several times now where it's like the reviewer just doesn't like the book. And I'm like, OK, well, let's just not review it. You know? mm-hmm. so, yeah, better leave it. Yeah. I, I, I feel that like, yeah. There's critical and then there's just like takedown and it, it can be, yeah. Yeah, and and I I think it's important to talk about because, I mean, on my end, it wasn't like, I didn't view it as like, oh, I just wasted my energy on that. It's like, I kind of, rev- I, I, I feel like reviews are like an extension of the workshops we did at Sarah Lawrence, like in an MFA mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. It's like, when you think about someone else's writing, you write why you don't like it. It helped me, like it benefits you. you yeah, know? totally. And I can see, especially in hindsight, that, it it was it was a book that came out with a small press and it's like there's you know there's part of me that like in a principled sense I was like well you know 
we need to talk about what makes a good, what good mm-hmm. writing and what makes you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But I I also think that like yeah, a book that's big enough to come out in the New York Times, it's like well let's talk about why this book got a lot of money and recognition. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't deserve that necessarily, or some people believe that it didn't, let, mm-hmm. that's a good dialectic to have. Yeah. And I can totally see now how. You know, just like kind of shitting on a book, not like not like I was out to get mm-hmm. someone, but mm-hmm. like kind of like shitting on a book that's not going to get that much daylight anyway. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are we really doing here? You know. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, it's well, a- that's an exercise, and I just I, I threw it away. You know, it's yeah. fine. It was whatever. It's definitely a tricky topic because I I could see the other point of view, which is that maybe we just need more honesty. You know, with <clears throat> especially with Twitter and stuff. I mean, I think there's so much. Especially like fake reviews on Amazon or stuff. Like, you yeah. know, the, like, you know, it's like, even when my book comes out, I'm mm-hmm. going to get 25 people. You know, there's a mm-hmm. certain number you Yeah, hit. I got, you know a, what I mean? A lot of people. And so that's, <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah there is yeah. that other side. I totally yeah. know what you mean. But, but like, I, the only other book that I've panned. Can you, can you just elaborate on the 25 people, what you actually, yeah, I actually, like? you know what? I actually don't know exactly what it means. Like, I just remember at AWP, we mm-hmm. were there, you know, mm-hmm. about a week and a half ago, yeah. two weeks ago. Oh, it's been two weeks already. I know. Were you there? Mm-hmm. Oh, you were? Yeah. I, yeah, we saw each other. Booth 9044. Yeah. Was that it? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. How do wow, I remember? Wow, 9044. That's what I just, Oh, you said that? Uh, isn't that? Good job. I don't know oh. what I just said. No, I, I thought remember. you said 9244. This but is crazy way, how I'm remembering. Impressive. Like, I booth still numbers. feel like I'm an AWP. <laughs> I still have an AWP. Well, they were, talking about, they were talking at one panel. <laughs> I mean, this is the Vegas fucking, you know response i'll ever give but they were talking about uh, one panel about how there's like if you hit 25 user reviews on like on an amazon thing mm-hmm. like something happened like some boost of recognition happens i like i'm totally butchering yeah. this but you know that's and like obviously those are all just shills for your book mm-hmm. like these aren't like honest yeah. <laughs> like you know reviews and so yeah i can totally see that um the but the only other big book the only other book that i panned in a review was published with a major press Mm. And and I yeah I mean I stand I stand by that too like it came out with three a.m. and like I was I was like this is bullshit like this person <laughs> probably got paid like a decent amount of money they got mm-hmm. a book deal and mm-hmm. like it's not a good book I'm sorry yeah. like you know like and this is why so I don't know it sucks it's not like I you want to hurt someone's feelings but anyway right. yeah I digress <laughs> we also do film reviews and those those have gotten some pans. Yeah. You know, and, but I feel differently about those, especially like the big, you know, because they used to do film reviews, but they do, they mainly do like small indie films and stuff. But now we, we kind of opened it up and Allison Lanier heads that and she also does a really awesome job and she's brought on some different reviewers and they've panned some, some movies, you know, but I, I guess I feel differently about that because they're, yeah. you know, they're big movies. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Like, no, I yeah. totally feel the same so, way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, no, and I, I I really do think that the pattern there is like those bigger movies or the mm-hmm. you know the the big press books. It's like you're talking about more about like a privilege and how much like mm-hmm. it's something that's earned, you know. So I think it is more relevant. But yeah, so so you took over Atticus. Where when did you when did you start like seriously writing? Were you have you always been a writer? Or um, yeah, I've always wrote since probably junior high. I guess. Okay. I mean, I, you know, and even before that, I, I had this journal that I found from my third grade that I like to reference, which is kind of funny because it actually corroborated some things that I wrote about in my book. Cause I guess that was a very seminal year for my brain. Like <laughs> a lot of the different things happened, but 
So I went back, anyway, this is kind of going off topic, but yeah, so I I used to write like a little journal in third grade and then I kind of stopped and then, but high school, I guess, is when I started more seriously doing it. And then in college I had wrote like at, for my thesis, they let me do a creative thesis. So I did a novella, which mm. is just now in a drawer. And Yeah. Have um, you, when's the last time you read it? I tried pick, I would be, yeah, I guess it was. It was a while ago. It was like over 15 years ago I, I picked it up again. Because uh-huh. now that I'm 45, 15 years ago I was 30. I thought I'd pick like, that up and maybe start something with it. And then I realized, no, there's nothing here. Yeah, you, it, was, <laughs> it was way but Yeah, yeah. So, and then I, I took a long break. I, I bartended. I did a lot of stuff after college that wasn't had nothing to do with literary stuff. And thought I was going to gather all this life experience and then were you writing at the time no no not a lot you were just yeah you yeah i mean because no i mean i'll I'll say after probably not as long as you but after undergrad Mm -hmm. our third partner Mm -hmm. uh john Mm -hmm. john k Mm -hmm. he invited me to go live out in seattle Mm. and that's how you know my book set in seattle and all that so that's why and i just i worked like really shitty jobs or like Mm -hmm. you know they like the last i had one like concierge graveyard shift concierge job but like Mm -hmm. i just like did anything that would allow me to write but like kind of the same idea like i was Mm -hmm. just like figuring out what i was gonna write about i guess you know yeah i mean i thought i wanted to do fiction but i think where i found my voice or whatever was in blogging basically and that was you know again like around 2000 and i just wrote a lot on my blog and it was kind of like personal essays but i didn't know what to call them no i didn't i don't during those like early days of blogging i don't think people knew what to call that yeah writing, i'm, I'm so intrigued know? by this like yeah. especially your perspective like how do you view you 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 mentioned like intimacy mm-hmm. yeah you know? i mean but i knew like, a lot of bloggers who were just blogging about their life and they were doing yeah. it in such a genuine way it wasn't mm-hmm. contrived it was you know and there's there's several blogs that i read around that time you know, and there, it's like you, it feels a little, I mean, I have a, and that's where I kind of learned I have a penchant or sort of a interest in, in nonfiction and mm-hmm. memoir and stuff like that. But, you know, just people expressing their humanness, you know, and people did that a lot more genuinely, I think. Do you think it's because people are competing for eyeballs that like blogs have changed? Or like, did one question that might be mm. a, an entryway into, into this question is like, did you put your name on your blog? I did, and and yes. like, uh, and I guess what a was lot of people what was the yeah what was the percent like what would you say like was, say, do you think more people were not or especially at the D, in the DC blog blogosphere a lot of people did not it was, yeah. they were mostly private and um, and I and I feel like there's and you could be that that's what's amazing like uh-huh. you could be anonymous exactly like and there's a lack I don't of know ego that you could that, do that so much you know? anymore it's like you're talking about this kind of like mm-hmm. contrived like you know, persona sort of thing. It's like when you're not putting your name on it, you're like not trying to accomplish anything except for just sharing something Mm -hmm. with other people. Yeah. You know, you got a version of, I think of, of somebody that was sort of their alter ego, but in a, in a kind of a genuine way, because they weren't out to like make it big or something. They were just kind of doing it to do it, to do it. Yeah. And so that's what I would do. And I would just sort of right on that and I didn't tweet it or I didn't do anything with it I just thought people are gonna find this thing you know and did they (laughs) just other bloggers you know it was like a really Uh, yeah I'm so fascinated by this like DC blogosphere yeah because we all read each other's blogs yeah (laughs) why like but why was that like the internet was literally you know it's literally worldwide I mean I'm sure there were other readers I just don't 
or people that were from other areas, but I just remember there being kind of this community there in D.C. that I really liked. You know, there was a good vibe there yeah. with other bloggers. And we'd have meetups, you know, and we'd meet up at a bar. And that's where people started realizing who one another was. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're so-and-so, you know. And um, so it kind of took the mask away mm-hmm. a little bit. But before that, I was I lived I grew up in in Texas and I lived in Yeah, Houston, was it? Well, I grew up in Houston, but I lived in Dallas during mm-hmm. the 90s and the late 90s and early 2000s and during that time I I just liked these writers. I mean, I don't know. This person doesn't even know who I I am anymore probably, but there was one blogger that really I I liked a lot named Bluish and she, her or her um, blog was just called Bluish Orange and mm-hmm. I just thought she was a really great writer and she wrote about herself in a very uh, honest, intimate way and yeah, and then we'd hang like I got to know that and then that sort of had its own little group of people that were sort of a click in this blogosphere thing that I never really fit into. I met a bunch of that click in South by Southwest. That's where writers would, online writers would sort of meet back then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which now South by Southwest is kind of like a big mark, like it's just marketers and mm. I feel like. And, yeah. I've never even heard of um, it. Oh, South by Southwest is I've, big. I've heard of it. I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't know exactly. It started what it as a music festival in Austin and then uh-huh. um, now they have an interactive thing which started back in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and they have a film division as well yeah and then there was this other blog that a lot of people knew at the time uh, deuce.com d-o-o-c-e and uh, she's one of the first ones like that got famous for losing her job because she was blogging i see oh wow yeah and, what was uh, she blogging about her family and mm-hmm. her baby and i mean at first it was just her she had a dog and she got married and that was when I sort of was reading her blog, and then and then she had a baby and became sort of one of the first mommy blogs, basically. You know, and she lost her job over <laughs> but, it. Well, this was before she had a baby. This, she lived out in L.A. and she had this job, and she just very opinionated and very I see. honest and probably something that would direct lose, lose your job. Yeah, just, like, and nowadays. at that time yeah. it was like mm-hmm. it's yeah. like it's like back when Facebook came out, and it's like if you had if you were drinking in your photos, they would be like, right. oh, you can't do that. And it's yeah. like now it's like who gives a and shit? Now <laughs> like the world we live in is so different but yeah. um yeah i mean she, and her name's heather b armstrong she's she's still fan, she still makes a living off of her blog wow you know, selling advertising and stuff i mean it's pretty but it's a very different blog it's more although she is getting back to her roots a little more i, I checked it recently because she got sort of it's almost like she sold she sold out a little bit uh-huh, you know she uh-huh. like got all this advertising sold and out then, on the mommy blog yeah. <laughs> Started taking so, that Toys R Us money. Her blog <laughs> really just became less interesting to me. I mean, you know, it sounded like a, a, a um, her doing a like a shtick, a shtick on yeah, herself like all that. the time. Yeah. You yeah. know, and um, so it, yeah, uh, it sounds it sounds like you're very, very passionate or like loyal to like honesty and like yeah, intimacy. I mean, and yeah. so that is so. Because you said you thought you were going to write fiction, and it sounds yeah. like that might have been kind of like the reason that you drove to to nonfiction. Like th- yep. this book of essays is your on- is that your only full length book of, of yep. nonfiction? So right? far, I'm working on another one now, which sort of picks up on some of the themes that I started in that one. I mean, I feel like this one, I mean, clearly was very personal and very tried to address 
shame a lot the and that's sort of become my thing that i want to sort of embrace is talking about confrontation and the transcendence of shame Mm -hmm, in in our lives you know because i think that that just sucks so much out of us that Uh, there's these things in our past mm -hmm. that we hold on to and then you know they're written into our brains yeah yeah Yeah. so will you read some of it sure yeah i would um yeah we could do that yeah yeah, <laughs> um, it's cool now? because yeah. Let's let's let's. You, you want to do that now? Sure. sure. Do you, you, Where yeah. can? Because this book is uh, this cover is just. I was admiring this before we started the podcast. This book is put together so beautifully. Aust Books, they do Aust Press. Sorry, they do um, some really lovely work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you need the book to sure, yeah. to read from? No, from memory. I'll just plug <laughs> them the a little bit because they're they're awesome to work with. And I mean, I know I'm, I know you guys are a fledgling press now, mm-hmm. so I'm sure they'd be. Happy to talk to you. Yeah, oh, that'd be open. awesome. Yeah, the yeah. people have, people that have hooked us up with other presses to talk mm-hmm. to. It's been unbelievably beneficial for yeah. us. Like you know, just and there's some cool things we've been doing with other presses. Like we're planning some collaborative book tours for authors together with mm-hmm. other presses. Cross promotion, you know, stuff like things that. to help yeah. really mm-hmm. help indie authors get more of a platform uh-huh. because mm-hmm. this work is super important. We, we we've talked about how we feel like indie presses are the ones that are really holding up like yeah, literary totally. fiction and nonfiction and mm-hmm. and poetry but yeah so that's why we're really interested in collaborating with a lot of other presses yeah um, so they, can you get that your book on their website still yep <clears throat> yeah and i think it's even still available on amazon maybe but yeah i would go through their website that would probably be the best way or through there they also get distributed by um spd so okay. any one of those three options and what's the but title again just so it's this is not a confession this is mm-hmm. not a confession yeah and i it came from one of the essays now i forget which one but i i have that line in there this is not a confession i was originally wanting to call it something else i was wanting to call it shirts and skins which also would have been sort of provocative in a different way because uh-huh. um just had to do that's a with, basketball reference or, right? or yeah some sort of athlete, well some sort of athletic reference when you're kids yeah. you play it. shirts and skins yeah, especially right. if you're i mean clearly if you're, you're boys and you're you can take your shirt off i mean it's that's that's our privilege i guess <laughs> our our uh you know whatever that's what we, I guess, in our culture get to do. But yeah, so we would play shirts and skins, football or soccer or whatever. But yeah, the babysitter that molested me when I was young, I mean, he lived on my block. So I started, there's one piece in here that's at the end that's fictionalized. It's more like Mm. from his voice, basically. Mm. And that was like, that was actually the first piece I wrote about it. Wow. Why specifically I, from his voice? Because I think I was still trying to figure out like how the Why? hell I can do this. And like, I didn't want it to be sentimental. I think that was my main concern was that it would come across as like sad. Or sad just for sad sake. Maybe yeah, instead or of like, like, or instead of like, you know, what is like, what's really going on under the surface here, you know? Because there's this, this person made the decision to do this to you right you know yeah i mean they were a teenager they were you know he was a teenager and and since then you know i've, I've just like kind of looked back and been like you know just wondering kind of what he was like because i don't yeah. really remember him at, at all except for kind of those times when he kind of came over and we did these things <laughs> so, yeah yeah so there was something interesting to me about writing from his perspective and him being very unremorseful about it sort of mm. and that made it seem like a good way to write about it where it wouldn't 
necessary like I was out to elicit sympathy or something mm-hmm. like I mm-hmm. I felt like almost if I did it in a way that you were angry at him that then that sort of emotion would take over the reader instead of like sadness or something yeah yeah so but it, it was no you're talking about a lot of what I, what I feel to be like very important things about our society like you know mm. like I don't think thinking about the perspective of perpetrators is a bad thing i think it's a helpful thing Mm -hmm. it's like to solve things like this it's like yeah it's a very helpful thing you know yeah it's it's tough though it's very hard yeah Yeah. that that's what i was gonna ask is how was that for you emotionally just writing that no i mean i think it was it was like an emotional time in a lot of different ways not just because of that so i was kind of going through depression and stuff but i don't know I i think i found it good overall so yeah and this is like something that I'm really interested in is sort of this well and I should back up and say like one of the reasons that I was able to write about it at all is because my mom had passed away that year and so I and that was when the first essays came out about or you know that that I started writing about it because I was just and she was the main person like I never I didn't want her to know about it I thought Mm. that it would hurt her and she never knew Mm -mm. oh man wow how do you you, feel how do you feel about that now do you do you still feel I think good about that I still feel fine about that yeah 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 because I think it would have really upset her and I can understand that had it it's kind of wanting to protect her from a pain a thing that she couldn't control and she probably would have felt guilty for but there is all these things about like secrets then you know that come because now I mean part of what my next book is about is is a is a secret that I found out about her as I was like the final year I was publishing my book I discovered some things about her and so that's going to be one of the threads in my next book so and then you know part of what my next book is about is it's going to be kind of just not so much about her necessarily but I, I want to talk about you know still this thread of shame and secrets but also childbirth and and the tension around that because you know that was a big deal with my wife and I we've had a lot of we had a lot of issues over the last several years having children and so I just find it interesting, some of the parallels, I guess, that I never knew my mom sort of had in her background mm-hmm. and that I wish I had known because I would have, I think it would have given more context and I wouldn't have been able to talk to her about children mm-hmm. and stuff in a more like honest or just sort of a more informed way about like what her past was like, yeah. sort of, you know. Is this an interesting time for you with like some of the media coming out, like the the leaving Neverland and like stuff like that? Oh uh, yeah, I, like, I mean, I think those things, those stories, definitely. Did they help, or did they like dredge up a lot of shit, or like a lot, or well, you just, know, a little of everything, or they just sort of make me. It is weird. It's just weird to think about, you know, especially like as a kid when a lot of this stuff was going on. I mean, I liked Michael Jackson a lot. Yeah, like, I mean, uh-huh. you know, so it's it's a strange, and I think that's part of what. I think that there's a lot more complication. To the whole thing than just the, like my part of the story there's uh-huh. like you know whatever was going on in his brain and stuff too exactly which you know is not like necessarily something that gets explored i think in most 
sort of sexual abuse narratives, you know, just sort of almost sympathy or sort of trying to figure out where that other person was coming from. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really um, admire you for saying that because I think it's extremely damaging to our society that we don't focus on that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Because obviously our natural in inclination is to be angry, of course, mm -hmm. you know. But it's it's like if you want to solve the issue you got to actually solve the issue, you know, yeah. and that's, and that's hard. It is yeah. just really hard. I mean, the thing that really sort of, I guess if to use the word triggered or whatever, but the thing that really got me was when Juno Diaz wrote that essay yeah. in the New York times. And, mm. and I, I guess what bothered me most is just how slammed he was after that by so many different people. And I just felt this sense of, defensiveness towards him because a lot of people felt that he was preempting the allegations yeah. that came out but right. either way i mean it is i think it's just clear that it's cyclical it, right. yeah exactly exactly it's like yes is is it hypocritical yes but is that the is that as important as the fact that of like why he's writing that piece yes he's preempting something but a lot of times this hap this happens because it happened to them you yeah know? like it's well, and very, just the preoccupation, case, you know? I think, with, I mean, these are the kind of things that are just really hard to, you know, talk about on Twitter and various things. But I, I just feel like there's there's probably a lot of men who, I know that statistically there's a lot of men who've had that, this sort of thing happen to them. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's like, they, the the idea of sort of acting out in a sexual way because you were sexually abused. I mean, that happens across the board mm -hmm. to men and women. In so many and, different ways. Yeah. yeah probably and, so many ways we don't have documented yet, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and oftentimes probably a lot of, if, if they're women, they probably wind up getting labeled as sluts or something because they probably use sex as a escape mm -hmm. a lot of the time or that there's various things that might be going on there you know and and then for men unfortunately they also have the there's just if they're a certain type of man i guess or you know and then they become into a position of power then it becomes sort of this this other dynamic that's not very appealing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know uh i'm trying to pose this as not like a selfish insight what i'm thinking about is uh you know there's a lot of talk about who deserves to write from what perspective or like mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and a lot of it is mostly centered around like race you know it's mm -hmm. like can can a white person write a book from a from a like a black woman's yeah, like, right. perspective or mm -hmm. something you know and but it's interesting because like that's hyper focused on like like one certain demographic Mm -hmm. But like what I'm thinking about right now is I have a character in my novel who's sexually molested as, mm. a, as a child. Okay. And it's like, I've, but I haven't experienced that. Mm. Like, I'm wondering how many people are out there that it's like, am I allowed to write mm. about that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what are the feelings about that? You know what I mean? Like, cause yeah. I, I have, I have a lot of the way I present it is that like, you know, he's, as a young adult, he's a pretty serious alcoholic and mm. clearly like disturbed. I mean, this mm -hmm. is like an extreme case, but mm -hmm. and then like slowly over the book, you kind of like go back and see a little bit like you, like these kind of like impressionistic shots of like what happened, you mm -hmm. know? And I don't know. I mean, it just, it does it, it now, now it's like everything you write about those experiences, <laughs> like who, like who knows, like if I'm allowed to, or if it works yeah, or like, a, you know, there's definitely you, a sense of 
censorship, I feel like, that is happening among well-intentioned people liberals yeah yeah i mean i, I so think you're not that you're not a, really on that on that end you don't you're not you're not I'm really not but i yeah, I, I'm, I would I'm probably be criticized for a perspective of privilege and maybe that's why i feel the way i, I do but that, that's kind of why i bring it up is because like the script is kind of flipped it's like you know at, obviously as a, as a straight white male like mm-hmm. but at the same time like this is a huge deal Mm-hmm. It's very impactful. So why should why should that not count as like, you know, do I am I allowed to like tell that story? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so that I, I think it's important that like you hold that perspective. That's like I think people should be able to write about things and explore. You know? Yeah. Because they but might it be is writing tough. about like something else through that medium. You know that they don't necessarily want to write about, or you know, it's just a way to like explore. Sublimating. I mean, things, it's yeah. it's a case by case basis. I'm sure that there's. And really what it comes down to is do they pull it off and yep. sometimes they don't. And then, I totally you know. agree. You know, that's exactly <laughs> um, how I think of it. It's like a lot of times when these arguments or discussions come up, I think it really comes down to like was the writer good job. or not. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like if you wrote it well, then, then who's going to complain? Any, you know? well, it, yeah, usually any reviews that come out, you know, are like there was this YA author recently who is Asian. I don't know what of what word. I think she's Chinese. I can't remember. But she wrote essentially a fantasy, a YA fantasy novel that has slavery of some kind in it. Mm. And she ended up pulling her book. She pulled her own book because of backlash. Because people said, like, something about... And I do not know the whole story. And so I will not, like, pretend to even be an authority Mm -hmm. on it. But from what I do know is that she pulled her own book because of backlash. People saying that, you know, the slave narrative wasn't hers to tell. And one, it was, like, YA fantasy. But also, like, Mm. there's slave narratives... That's Yankee jumping. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, yeah, we're always interested on like, and, and talking with people and especially as a, you know, a publisher of a journal, like mm-hmm. wh- who has the authority to write what? And, and I think, I think a lot of these questions, a lot of reviews I read come from, you know, they, they end up making stereotypical caricatures of whatever other person or their perspective they're writing from and i think that Mm. if the writing is actually good and they've done their research Mm -hmm. that usually people do not get upset yeah that if you're you know respectful and taking the care to actually know another culture that yeah well yeah so we'd be really interested to hear you read some okay yeah let's do um i want to set it up by saying like i'm and i i've said this I think this will get cut out because we were getting a beer, but I, I'm going to propose a panel um, for AWP, talking about AWP stuff, I'm going to propose a panel. This is my first year. I'm going to try submitting a panel. It's going to be about transcending shame through mm-hmm. writing. Or did I say this already? I may have no, said this already. Well, yeah, a little. You, you, you touched, you touched <laughs> okay. on that idea. Yeah, but not the so, But I just think it's a, it's a really interesting topic. And mm-hmm. one thing that I've sort of been facing for myself i think is that i mean there's parts of my book that are very lyrical so like i've kind of been confronting how sometimes i'll write about stuff and i think a lot of people do this like they'll write about stuff in a in a sort of vague way and so it comes and it's pretty it's pretty what they're writing but Uh it's like you read it and you go what is it i don't really know can tell this is something personal that you're writing but 
I don't know what you're it's writing opaque. about. It's yeah. opaque, yeah. Yeah. So that's always bugged me, especially as like an editor. You know, when I see that, I'm just like, I want to write back. I, and oftentimes I do. I just write back and say, I don't, I don't, I think you're writing about something else here. But do you think it's, it's not you, the, do you think it's usually fear of the <clears throat> subject? Probably. I mean, yeah. I think so, but yeah. And that's definitely what it was with me. But so there was stuff in here that I think is sort of fun to read, but it's more lyrical and it's, it's less direct. Mm. And so I mean, that, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I, I really can't wait to read this. Yeah. But I'm not going to read that today because that's <laughs> yeah. what I read a lot in my, when I did the book tour, See, I read this piece called Good With Numbers, which is really fun to read. And when did you read? That was this a while was ago. This was a while ago. Like, like it would have been during time. my book tour yeah. time. So it was like, yeah, two years ago, 2016. Yeah. I think. Oh. And Devin wrote this. I mean, he, he announces everybody so nicely. <laughs> he just wrote, you know, said this glowing thing. And I was like, man, I don't even want to read now. I just want to <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of That's how yeah. a lot of people react yeah. <laughs> when they introduce. We've had a lot of people um, use our bios as blurbs. Oh really? Like that yeah. On their press, yeah. But yeah, and then there's some sens- kind of sensational stuff because I mean, another thread to this book is that my wife and I had an open relationship for the last five years or so. So there's a lot of sexy stuff. Like the third s- chapter of the book is kind of all this sort of sex, which that was also fun to write about. But it was, it was sort of done with the the idea of like trying to explore like what it was that I was what was happening in my marriage, what was happening to me, what was sort of, and also like I lived in the suburbs, which really had bad connotations for me. And so I was writing a lot about how there's all these things happening in the suburbs that you just, it's supposed to be this nice place, but you don't know what's going on behind Mm -hmm. everybody's closed door. And that's kind of what the, what LK James picked up on with the doors on the cover is, uh-huh. is that whole thing. But when yeah, but I want to, what's that? When you say chapters, what do you mean by that? Like, Oh, cause, cause did I a, say chapter? I, well, I meant like the whole third section. Okay, so there's yeah. different essays, but they're divided up into like three sections. Or something. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. So Got the it. first part is like a lot about my mom. Second part is about kind of like my dad, I guess. And then my childhood. And then, the third part's about my marriage, and in the middle is this essay called The Big Bad Wolf, which is the most direct I wrote about being molested. Yeah. So it's very unlyrical, but now in retrospect, I feel like I, I wish I had read from it more because I think it was more, I think I was being hypocritical like because I want honesty mm-hmm. from my writers, but mm-hmm. I was sort of... But that fear was there. That fear was yeah, there, yeah, yeah. talking about it directly in front of people. So yep. I, I wound up writing or reading the stuff that was more fun to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. well, it's difficult to um, have a reading series too. I mean... This, yeah, right. You want to be entertaining, you know? The and, dramatic stuff, no yeah. matter how good it is, will just get dead silent and you, as an author are like what's the feedback and unless somebody bursts into tears or something it's it's difficult at a rating so i can understand why you would want the more energizing pieces anyway yeah i think i I think it's harder for the reader than anyone to take the pulse of the room because while you're reading it you're just like looking down on your page page Mm -hmm. and you're like whatever it's like even in the audience you can sometimes like you know sense like oh yeah everyone's like riveted right now you know mm. but yeah it can be difficult. i tend to only read funny things at readings <laughs> and so if no they one work. laughs i and know it doesn't yeah. work <laughs> i mean that's the flip side you're right i mean that's probably why i did it is that it's definitely more entertaining yeah. but but these ones might work more in these because i did read this actually in a group my friend kylie did this writing group and i read for them and we did sort of a discussion afterwards and so that was the first time i read it 
public, you know, in front of people. And I think it went over okay. So this is part of an essay called the big, larger essay called the Big Bad Wolf. And then I ha it's divided up into sections in the way. It, and I, I intersperse the sections with talking about different ways that writers have written the story about the Big Bad Wolf because mm. it's been written by a lot mm -hmm. of different people. And it's always kind of this backdrop of like Anne Sexton wrote about it in a way that was very like clearly about sort of sexual dynamics and stuff. And so I thought that was really interesting. But so this section is called Making It Matter. I used to tell my mom everything and the things I couldn't tell her, I usually told my dad. And the things I couldn't tell him, I usually told my best friend. But I was never able to talk to anybody about being molested by my babysitter. I wanted to. I used to play through the scenarios of telling people in my head how I would do it, what I would say. And there were times I came very close to doing so, too. There were times during intimate conversations where I would think, okay, this is the perfect time. And I would work out the sentence in my head. I would have it loaded in the barrel. My finger curled around the trigger. But no matter how I played it out, I never saw it making any sense. And so I would uncock the hammer. I would flip the safety. And look, here's the thing about that, about not telling anybody. I'm not sure what most scared me about it, whether it was the worry of what their reaction would be, or if it was letting go of the thing that until then had been completely mine and mine alone. And if I did that, if I let it go, what then? What if it didn't matter? Maybe holding on to it was a way to make it matter forever. And so I just figured that that's what I was going to do. I'd hold on to it forever. I would take it to my grave, or almost. Here's the way I saw it playing out, really. When I was on my deathbed, as I was drawing my last breath, I would tell it to whoever was there with me. Maybe that would be a wife or a son or a daughter. Maybe it would be a nurse, but that's how it would happen. I would just tell whoever was there, and that would be it. And then, but then I wound up telling somebody, and then I told another person. I told exactly two people, and I noticed that as soon as I did it, it became a lot less interesting. When my mother died, I wrote my first piece about it, and I found that, that the telling of it had the story of her death wrapped up in it, which indicates to me how much I was holding on to the story of my being molested in order to protect her. Because once she was gone, I found it no longer mattered. Truly, I found a lot of things no longer mattered once she was gone. I think most of the stuff I've held, I've held on to is stuff I've held on to for her. To protect her, maybe, or to protect myself from seeing her sad. I don't know if I would be writing about it today if she were still alive, but here's what I do know. By not talking about it and by not writing about it, I made it too precious. And I feel like making a thing too precious can turn a small thing into a big thing, or a big thing into an unbearable thing. I made the thing my big bad wolf. Shame, after all, is one of the biggest, baddest wolves there is. There is. I gave it its power over me by b being silent about it. I made it scary to myself, but by giving it a voice, it became just another thing that had happened in a world full of unfortunate things that happened. It became just another story for me to tell. And I don't mean to make light of that. In the end, our stories are the most powerful things we have, but we all have them, and they're all important. And what's important about this particular story isn't that it happened to me, but that it happened at all. So I'm going to go on a little longer because I'm, I'm liking it. going on this narrative about shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this section is called Repertoire. Let's talk more precisely about shame now. Let's talk about my shame. 
There was a certain period of my life when I thought sex was just like playing go fish or bingo or something. Maybe that's just how we all are towards sex before we have the brains and hormones to go along with it. Maybe most young kids think of sex as a sort of game. Maybe that's just the stage the brain is in then and that's just how we are able to process it. There was a pair of male twins in my neighborhood whom I engaged sexually around the age of six, probably. I don't remember their names. We didn't remain friends much past that age, I don't guess. They must have moved away because I have no memory of them beyond that time. They were over at my house once, along with a girl who I believe might have been their sister, but I'm not sure. I remember proposing that all of us have sex. I remember not really feeling weird or nervous about it or anything. I remember just being like, look, it's no big deal. And I remember getting us all to undress. And I remember putting one of the boys' dicks in my mouth to show them, look, it's easy, you guys. When I did it, I remember thinking how much smaller his dick was when, than my babysitter's teenage dick, which was, and still is, the only other dick I'd ever had in my mouth. <clears throat> I don't remember exactly how that whole scene ended, but I do know that it ended without us doing anything much more than that. I think somebody said that if this felt weird, and eventually we all put our clothes back on. I remember being intrigued by the girl not having a penis, but not really knowing what to do with that information or what to do with her that might be called sex. My entire sexual repertoire by this age only, invo only involved boy parts. In junior high, Halloween, ah, this, this section's too long. I'm gonna leave it right there. But there's another section where... You sure you don't wanna read it? Um, it's kind of a cool story because it's pertinent, yeah, and you can cut it. it out. I think if, no, it's, I think if it winds should. up going too long, you can. No, just cut I think we should. We've had people read it. for like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Go for, let, so this one's it. called "Changing Power Dynamics." Well, in between those two is like another, like from Little Red Riding Hood by Andrew Lang. So each of these sections, which I don't, I'm not going to read because they're kind of boring to read, but changing power dynamics. Uh, in junior high, Halloween, like everything else, really became less about games and candy and more about conflict and sex. The only costume the boys ever wore was all black, so we could hide in the night and engage in shaving cream battles with one another. And the girls' costumes all came straight from high fashion of MTV videos. My upper middle class suburban Houston neighborhood was as safe and demilitarized as any other, but on Halloween, it became a war zone. I don't recall there being an objective when it came to the epic shaving cream battles we had. I don't recall how we determined who was against whom. We pretty much just banded together with our normal group of friends and roamed the mean suburban streets. We never set out looking for shaving cream fight, but we figured it was good to have a few cans on us in case one happened to break out. So we carried a modest arsenal of Barbasol, either the red-striped can, which was original, or the green-striped can, which was soothing aloe. Middle school is that strange time between elementary school and high school when you are no longer a little elementary school kid, but you're also a pretty sorry specimen of a teenager. We were still interested in candy, but we were also becoming just as interested in sex. We were old enough to no longer have to be accompanied by our parents on Halloween, but the entire premise of Halloween still hinged on the assumption that we would be going out to trick-or-treat. And so to some degree, we had to maintain that position to our parents. And of course, this meant candy had to be procured at some point. We couldn't come home empty-handed. It was a complicated time. 
The Halloween night, Emily Ames, who had already gr uh, grown a compelling pair of breasts and who had mastered the art of music video high fashion, got gang molested by a group of middle school boys. A group of boys, by the way, who were my age and Emily's age. A group of boys with whom we had all gone through the various stages of early childhood. A group of boys I knew by first name, who made up my world, as it were, and with whom, at various points in my short life, I had run on playgrounds and on soccer fields, and while not best friends, had certainly at one point or another, they had been my friends. That Halloween night, I don't remember what candy I brought home, but I do remember wanting to talk about what happened with somebody. But like doing sex with my babysitter, I just never did. I have since confirmed with one of my friends that it did indeed happen. And while we differ on some of the details, the gist of it is the same. Here's the way I remember it. We had all found each other that night in this one neighborhood intersection, an intersection of non-busy streets where we rode bikes and played street football and soccer uh, in the afternoons and in the mornings, waited for our school bus. Dozens of us, we were boys and girls in that intersection, the same boys and girls we had always been, the only boys and girls any of us had ever known. We were each we were each other's whole world, and we were all in that intersection, milling around, hoping for some kind of dramatic tension. There was rumblings of a shaving cream fight. Cans had been drawn, but nobody had made the first move. It was like everything had converged in this one spot. This was where the action was. This was the place to be. When Sam Littleton put a large dollop of shaving cream in his hand and stuck that hand down Emily Ames's shirt, all attention turned to them, and most of the rest of us went silent. Sam said, you like that, don't you, to Emily, and Emily didn't speak. Another boy came over, and he did the same thing to Emily's other small, barely developed breast, and she just stood there and pretended she didn't mind what was happening. Maybe she wanted to seem brave. It was not cool to show fear. It was not cool to appear scared. But then a few other boys came over, and things began to escalate. More hands were reaching out, trying to find their way under her shirt, and the shirt got more and more stretched, and both it and the, uh, it and she threatened to tear, tear. It was unclear what exactly the rest of us were watching or what we should be doing about it. We just stood there, sort of stunned. Then Emily, who had been stone-faced until then, started crying. And her friend Kelly Barnes stepped in and yelled at Sam and the other boys and told them to stop. And Kelly was small, but she was also goth and intimidating as hell, and I remember always being scared of her, especially after that night. Kelly sc uh, screamed at Sam, she screamed at all of them, and finally the boys stopped, but they also laughed. Uncomfortable, but not apologetic. And all the rest of us, boys and girls who in our own ways were just as guilty for only standing there at a distance on the corner, watching this thing unfold, we walked away. And maybe not right away, but eventually we went back to our homes and our moms and our dads and sisters and brothers and we told whoever might listen about all the trick-or-treating we had allegedly done and we dumped our candy on the floor as proof. And we took a shower that night to wash off the shaving cream or sticky candy or dirt and we acted like nothing of circumstance had happened. But something had definitely happened. I thought about that scene a lot later that night and probably over the next couple of days and one of the things I remember thinking was that I wished I knew what Emily's breasts felt like. I even remember feeling a certain bit of regret that I hadn't felt them for myself, like maybe my unwillingness or reluctance to join in was some kind of failure on my part. It's strange and difficult to admit now, but it, I did feel a certain degree of envy towards Sam that 
that he'd felt Emily's breasts and I hadn't. But I also knew that the way the whole thing had happened wasn't the way it was supposed to unfold. That what I would have liked and what Emily had wanted were two different things. I probably wouldn't have articulated it this way then, but here's some of what I think I felt that night. We weren't six-year-olds hanging out on the playground or in my game room anymore. Whatever we did or didn't do with regard to sex, it no longer felt like a game without consequences. These games we played now had different fields and different boundaries. There was an inherent power dynamic. I never got that image of Sam's hand down Emily's shirt out of my mind or the way Emily had seemed so trapped and scared but at the same time didn't seem to want to show it or the way Kelly screamed at all of them and how her eyes were big and angry or the way the boys just laughed. So that's damn that's wow. that section. So those, I think I'll end it there, but I, those were ones that I wish I had, I had read more, you know, when I was doing the readings, because I feel like they're more, they're more, like, direct. You really pull in a room. I mean, I think you would have mm-hmm. silenced the audience for sure, like <laughs> yeah. we're talking about. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's not good. But, no, but I, yeah. I can see what you mean. It's It's like, you know, it's asking a lot of an audience, especially if you come up the person before you read something really funny, you know, and everyone's like, oh, we're having a good time, you know. Right. And yeah. then you're asking the audience to say, like, let's step into this world right now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of people are willing to do that, but it's not like we always feel that that's, like, you know, the case. Right. It's hard, you know. How, how did you feel writing those <clears throat> or writing that last one specifically? This essay, I mean, came out faster than almost anything. Like, I knew I needed something to just pull in all the other essays and Mm -hmm. kind of like indicate more directly what some things were about and so that was like the last essay I wrote and it was actually probably the easiest (laughs) so you that's what I was wondering is like this we've been talking about shame a lot and so like Mm. did that creep up while you were did you have any regrets totally but I and I was kind of like sweating and like I was kind of scared but at the same time I was like this is I think this is the honest stuff that I need to put in there at some point. So, Have any of then, those people who were involved in that read your book or know about yeah, it? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and he hasn't contacted me to say anything, but he, I'm Facebook friends with him, the, the, the Sam character. That's not his name, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, so. the essays like that are so important because... Yeah, it shows why, I mean, the second you wrote it, someone else came out and well, shared theirs. and on, honestly, I'm just thinking about the fact that, that you are so willing to step outside the good-evil paradigm that so much, like, writing and media, like succumbs to mm. and deigns to you know yeah and like you're like you're, where this is you mean like like right and wrong like is this just, is right or wrong yeah right yeah. and wrong i mean yeah. you're you're in the middle of of so much trauma and like weird stuff happening and you're even able to look inside yourself and see where you might have even been at fault mm. in certain senses it's like i mean yeah it's just it's yeah, there's it's another great. essay in, in the sexy section that's... Is that what it's called? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what the it's called in your head? Section. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that where I talk more about as an adult, kind of having that feeling too, where, okay, I might have overstepped. I, like, you know, it was one of those situations where just, I think we were both sort of in it at the same time for a little while, but then 
you know, suddenly and you're referring to just, with your marriage. No, with no. me having sex with somebody else outside my marriage. But like as that, but as a part of an uh, an open marriage or whatever. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. But the person I was I had slept with, you know, that night was was all was all in and but at the end she definitely I think regretted it and then I just felt really bad and so there's an essay in there about that and Mm -hmm. you know I can just sort of see where it's just hard yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's no there's no good and evil in 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 physics like you know in in objectivity and like it's just the way we function is I'm, I'm just very appreciative of people like you writers like you that are willing to get past the value judgments so easily and say yeah. like let's like actually talk about what's going on here yeah. not like who is the most aggrieved or outraged or hurt even though those things are all very important it's like well, in order it, yeah. to in order to really understand those issues you have you do have to look underneath the surface you know yeah i mean i'm definitely i mean anti you know violence of any kind sure, and, sure. and but w- sometimes when these things sometimes things sort of unfold on twitter and i just i feel like people i mean the juno diaz was one of those situations where i just felt like people were attacking and sure he was not a he probably had done some not great things but i just do feel like to discount sort of his past and was a disservice it, to it him. just it just maintains the cycle really <clears throat> yeah to discount that past yeah it does we had a situation in atticus where somebody and the, you know this is the way these things unfold i feel like in the literary world it's like people start well do you remember there was like a document that went out about the bad shitty men, men in list, media? Shitty men mm-hmm. list? yeah yeah we, well, the, we we have we have we, like we have no experience with it but like yeah. you know we've there you know we know people who have been on it and like Mm -hmm. you know it it is it's strange it's a very strange thing yeah Yeah. the literary community is very small i think just for context in case people don't know that there was a list put together kind of behind the scenes that was passed around between a lot of like literary like prominent women and and non-binary folks who were naming people that had allegedly abused them in some way Mm -hmm. whether it's like domestic violence Mm -hmm. sexually assaulted things like that and then it 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 came out and so like i think that the debate was like can you put together a list like that without like forward coming you know because now these men just have their name on their list but at the same time you think like how how else are people going to come like forward because you just can't in a lot of these situations so but i think like there wasn't a real conversation around what was actually going on i think it was more about the dramatics of it but is that what so that's what well this wasn't in regards but that was kind of like what came to mind but we had some there was a situation like that that happened and i don't even i honestly don't even remember the guy's name but he we had accepted him and we we got a piece of his his, and we got wind that a lot of magazines were having a hard you know were pulling his piece because this thing something had happened and Mm -hmm. um we were trying to figure out what to do and thankfully we didn't have to decide because he actually wound up contacting us and wrote us this really long email and said i you know this thing is blown up i'm going to withdraw my piece. I'm really sorry. And said, you know, I, I feel like there's been a, a real misunderstanding, but I, I understand why this thing blew up. And I mean, it just seemed very honest what he wrote. And so I, we just wrote him back and said, thank you for writing. And I think, I don't know what happened with that. I don't know. But those are the types of things like I, I, I sort of wonder, you know, where that's going to go. 
I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think we, I recognized obviously a lot of names on the list because the literary community is smaller than you think. But we did yeah. have one person that we consider a good friend that appeared on that list. And that was not our experience of him and so that was really hard to deal with yeah just trying to navigate that and it's like the list is understandable as a as a reaction i understand that but i think the the form of it and the title especially shows that shows that it shows that we are totally incapable as a society of the finding the correct way to hold people accountable for their actions Mm. because a shitty men in 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 what is it in media a shitty men in media list the title alone says we're not interested in in figuring out why this happened mm-hmm. or how yeah. or like you know what to do about it. We're interested in outing these people and fucking their lives over, yeah. and I, it's understandable. Yeah. Like you know you get That's you get the, the anger, especially yeah. when you have a, a a whole you know species you know of women who are like getting harassed and assaulted for all this you know it's it's totally understandable right, and then that just like it's, drove it's just, someone to write the shitty women and exactly it's like it's it like, like is it helping yeah. no that's the problem like, and I you know that's the whole thing like that, the, you know i'm not comparing at all any of the women that were involved with that to no know, i didn't donald trump that. or anything yeah. like that I, right, but, exactly. but i'm it, it is a very similar thing that we're watching unfold with donald trump and the way he's divisive you know mm-hmm. it's just and it's just becoming more just the way people are and yeah it's it's, it's certainly not worrisome. helping it's worrisome yeah. like you know you I, I really just hope that over time it's we bullying. can figure we I can feel like it's bullying yeah that we can it's figure out like, a way to just yeah. move past the because it really is just staying caught up in the anger and the mm-hmm. trauma itself and mm-hmm. instead of like really getting underneath the skin and figuring out how to solve these problems at the which, same time i have no good like alternative no, I, to, I mean other than conversation <laughs> we can say that but it's really really hard I in these situations kind of, well where, i mean one thing i've been wanting to do with atticus frankly is have the conversation more and trying to figure out how to do that like in mm-hmm. one way that one of the editors on the on our team jen maidenberg and she went to a panel at awp and there was a good panel called monstrous men monstrous women something something in the age of me too uh-huh. and <clears throat> you know i wanted to go but i had to i had to man the table during that time but she went and said it was a really like because we you know we were both kind of nervous like oh my god what's going to happen during this panel it's mm-hmm. just going to be a shit show or something and it was actually like people wrote some really well thought out smart essays about stuff mm-hmm. and there was a real discussion that happened in the room mm. and so we're in we're talking to the woman who put that panel together and we'd like to sort of like publish all those essays that they wrote or for that panel basically so I don't know where that's at. Wow! But if you Jen's need some help it. somehow with that, we'd be I think very uh, yeah. interested. Absolutely, in that. absolutely. Like, I just want to. Like, there's so much. There's so much. You know, and I didn't even see this come. <clears> like, you know, I I knew what your book was about, but for some reason, like before you came, I wasn't like, oh wow, we're gonna have this conversation about all this stuff. <laughs> right. And not just that character in my novel that I told you about, but there's mm. another character who holds this secret about being abducted, um, okay. and it's a it's a wrapped up in this other situation, but. The how much I could relate to that, even though I have never, I had never been through mm-hmm. necessarily. A, I guess, I guess I have in my own. I've had secrets, but mm-hmm. like that idea of like once you re- like 
it's it's currency right like mm-hmm. like i wrote exactly about that and i was like wow i feel like we're like on such the same <laughs> wavelength right now because mm. i spent a lot of time writing about that in my novel too mm. yeah yeah I think, yeah, unfortunately, I think we do have to close yeah. out. I mean, we could sit here Thanks for, for we, I know, this conversation. We'll definitely have to have you on again, for sure. No, this is great. I think, and I'm, um, I'm, I'm, your book, I'm going to read, I, I just finished a book. I'm going to read yours next. Oh, cool. I'm Thanks. really excited to read it. Yeah. If people want to submit to Atticus, are you guys open for Yes, we're open year round. We go on these little breaks every once in a while because we just get too overloaded. And so it's just kind of random, but yeah. we'll take the submission things off for a little while. But mostly we're open. And what are you really excited about receiving coming up? Stuff that's... um, um, (laughs) Well, can I read you the little blurb on our website? Yeah, let's do that. Um, We know we got some great people who do listen to podcasts who need to submit. You know who you are. (laughs) This is my shaming you to submit. (laughs) No, I need to get back to it, too. I mean, I'm... We have Starting one listener, some... Pedro, that I'm going to call out right now who should be writing more. Oh, really? And I think okay. he really needs to. So All right. I just Pedro. want to say that. You said it was Pedro? Pedro okay, Ramirez. Yeah. He won our Twitter contest, and that's oh, how we met oh, him. Oh, yeah. He's, he's adorable. I love him. He's he's a very good human, and he comes to a lot of our readings. And, and I mean stuff, that kind but... of literally. Like, his dimples are, like, out of control. He's uncool. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pedro, you have to write something in Anyway. Well, we crafted this little thing, Jen Maidenberg, me, and uh, Dorothy Bendel, the managing editor. We wrote this little thing, and I try to memorize it, but it doesn't sound good when I'm so I just, I'm like, I'm just going to read it. So, yeah, totally. uh, the writing in Atticus Review is unashamed, unadorned, and unafraid. We want our contributors to dig deep into wounds, to uncover words that touch the heart of the heartache, not to wallow, but rather to transcend despair through art and arrive at something hopeful. The stories we love are often lonely and sometimes ugly, but we're also deeply attracted to the bright, bold, and hope-infused. We like hybrid, hybrid, unconventional work that pushes boundaries, elevates, and edifies on an intellectual level that investigates the inscrutable essence of a thing that avoids artifice to stand firmly in its unique voice. Wow. Awesome. Can you guys come write copy for our submissions <laughs> page? <laughs> so, I don't know. You know, we want... I, I'm trying to lead us more towards nonfiction cause, just because that's where my bent is. But Do you guys um, do personal essays? Yep. You yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We have several on there that are really powerful. Cool. And But we also, you know, poetry and fiction as well. Fiction's the most submissions, but I think that's kind of universal yeah. across yeah. the board. Yeah. Atticusreview.org. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, you Submit. guys. This yeah, really no, thank you. This, yeah. Is, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. I will, uh, <laughs> I will read our closer, and I think we're good. Cool. Okay. All right. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 18th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Dave Olympio. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. It's the burn, bombing on yelling, getting gully as the fern. 